Pulp MX Network production. To this day, when I hear that song, I see you standing there on that lawn. Discount shades, store bought tank, flip flops, and cut off jeans. Somewhere between that. A new view from inside the truck. X racer to racer and eye to eye. A casual look into the personalities of the sport and an experienced perspective into the action from week to week. It's Jason Thomas's industry seating. Presented by Pirelli Tires, Guts Racing, Plum Creek Funding, Pro Glow Wash, Works Connection, Bass Foundry, TL Speed Shop, Grandstone Boots, and Fly Racing. Welcome to the Industry Seating Podcast. It is actually Monday, January 23rd, 2023, and we just had the initial inaugural debut, take your pick, round at Snapdragon Stadium back in San Diego. And for those of you who have been to this round, you know that we've been at Petco Park the last few years, ever since they, uh, they tore down what used to be called Qualcomm Stadium. And you know, I've been going to these races in San Diego for a long time. I think my first year there was 99, maybe. I, wasn't, I didn't race. I was racing uh, East Coast, but I was there. And yeah, so I went through the, the Qualcomm transition. You know, We were there for years, down to Petco, and then back to the same, same geolocation at the new stadium of Snapdragon. My perspective is that you know, Qualcomm was historic. Um, I, I like the area that it's in. It's really convenient for people that live in Southern California. It's right off the 15. You can, you know, hop back and forth, you know, to Temecula or Corona where the whole kind of industry lives. Um, it's not too terribly inconvenient for people coming from, you know, the other side of the mountain, which would be like Orange County. They can just come down and then hop on the eight and jump over there. Uh, so it, it is very nice to get in and out of. There's, Huge parking lots. You can get that tailgate vibe that football games have. Um, so there, there are certainly lots of upside. The stadium at Qualcomm was very old and dated, um, as far as like venue, hospitality, and all the things that make the experience that much better. Really nice restaurants and uh, the suites and the you know the areas to sit. All that is it was just really old. There wasn't a lot to really write home about. Um, and that's just because it was a really old stadium. So that transition to Petco was pretty great. Uh, there were downsides. The pits were terrible. Uh, there's a really large homeless community right by Petco, which is not very much fun. You know, I, obviously everybody feels sorry for them, but it's, it really does kind of take away from the weekend. You know, people are, they're not bothering you, but you're, there's a lot of panhandling. You don't feel, I, I would not feel safe with my better half or, you know, if I had kids or whatever down there alone, I would not feel safe, uh, especially at night. Um, there's no parking at all. So that's a huge problem. And yeah, so that, that's downside. Um, gas lamp is amazing. So you can stay at a hotel right in the gas lamp quarter district, whatever it's called. And that's great. Bars, restaurants, uh, all walking distance, you know, after the race, there's a ton to do. So those are all kind of the, the upsides. Um, but for me, if I, I think if I had to pick, I, I think this Snapdragon Stadium was an upgrade. Um, as much as I like the, the gas lamp experience, there's just too much 
else that you miss, um, not being able to park, not be able to walk around, not, um, you know, and, and there are tons of things right by the Snapdragon Stadium too, as far as restaurants and hotels and everything. So it's not like you're in the middle of nowhere, but I, I'm excited we're back there. Uh, the stadium was beautiful. You know, it's brand new. So you get all the modern amenities. Uh, there's this area called the Saquon, which Saquon's a casino for those of you who don't frequent Southern California. Saquon Casino is one of the bigger ones down there. Um, they have this area called the Saquon Piers, and it's like a multi-level bar area. Uh, so those seats are really nice. There's a couple other of those high-end kind of seating areas that really just make the overall experience much more high-end. Um, and yeah, I, I enjoy that kind of stuff, right? If, if you're going to spend your hard-earned money and go enjoy Supercross, why not? Why would you not want to uh, visit and do things like that. Um, so overall I'll give it an A. I know Steve was pushing for Petco last night on our race review, but that's okay. I don't, I don't think either of them are bad. I just think this one has things to offer that Petco doesn't. And you could argue that Petco does too, but I thought it was a nice change. I'm happy. I guess if we're, if we're going to make a change, if we're going to go to this new stadium, at least it was pretty awesome, right? Because if we had taken a significant turn for the worse as far as venue that would be a bummer because we have that petco when they're kind of waiting in the wings um, but i felt like this was a great option and uh, i have no problem if we continue to go to this venue for years to come i, I think it's a a very deserving and well um or you know deserving fit for monster energy supercross before we talk about the racing let's thank the sponsors pirelli tires guts racing plum creek funding fast foundry International Vet MX Series, which was formerly called uh, the Old Timer Motocross Series, so we'll talk about them a little bit later. Pro Glow Wash, Fast Foundry, TL Speed Shop, Grant Stone Boots. I got some new Grant Stone Boots on the way. And Fly Racing. I'll get into those a little bit more in depth as the show goes on. But as we do on this show, let's talk about the 250 class. And I don't want to say the 250 class is boring because it's not. But it, it feels a little predictable. And I don't think it had to be that way. You know, losing Forkner was a big deal as far as adding some spice to the series because I think he truly had the, the speed to give Jet Lawrence an issue or two. And these other guys, it's not that they're not doing well. You know, RJ and McAdoo specifically. But I just don't know if they're going to be able to best Jet Lawrence, you know, over, especially over the course of a series. Like maybe, yes, around here or there, maybe this Triple Crown upcoming at A2, they could sneak in a win or something because they're not far off. But you wonder, is Jet really on the edge, right? Is he pushing in these races to a point where he is under duress and he's worried about losing? Or is he just managing the race? And that's the tricky part. And I don't know if he would, would or could tell us, you know, oftentimes riders don't know their ceiling until they're forced to go find it. And I think we're still in, and we will be in discovery mode on Jet Lawrence for a very long time because he's getting better as we go. It's, you know, he's developing and maturing and his skill set is still growing. So what he, you know, what his ceiling was last year may not be what his ceiling is this year. And what, where he is butting up against his best self this year, two years from now, he may be 5% better than that, you know? So it's, it's crazy to watch. He's so incredible to experience. I'm very glad that I'm, I'm here and in this, 
you know, able to talk about it on TV and media and write about it and all these things because he's, he's something special. He really, really is. You know, if he can stay healthy, sky's the limit. You know, I, I, I think you start talking about 72 wins. Or that, that's, I don't know that anybody's ever going to approach that. You know, even the 50 wins type stuff, you need a decade of dominance to get something like that. So all those things I think are in play at some point. Like they're not impossible, it's just, you need everything to go right. You can't get injured and all those things. So I don't even want to talk about that stuff. I just think Jet Lawrence is the next guy that we have to watch for to be an absolute 450 superstar coming to the sport. And I think, you know, guys like Sexton and a few guys, if they can, they're going to have their hands full keeping Jet Lawrence from winning race after race and title after title. That's, that's where we're approaching rather quickly. And, and I'm not usually there with 250 guys. I think it's such a big jump that oftentimes you can't make assumptions like that. But with Jet Lawrence, I'm, I'm willing to make it. I think he's coming and coming very, very quickly. And I think we're going to see exactly what he's got this coming summer. Now, is that enough to win a 450 Pro Motocross title his first year off? I don't know because Sexton was amazing last year. But I think he's absolutely going to be in the mix for it. You know, you talk about other guys too, Ferrandez. There, there are going to be other guys. Um, but assuming Tomac doesn't race, you have to think Jet Lawrence is going to be in the mix. I, I certainly have him in my top three. Um, so, yeah, just something to look forward to there. I mentioned RJ. He's great. Past McAdoo gets another second place, and he just looks calmer. He looks more composed than he has in prior years, and I don't know if that's a mental thing, a physical thing, combination of both, the bike being significantly better. You know, it, you could point to several things, but – the end result is he just doesn't look like he's as on the edge as he's been to go this speed, and that's resulting in consistency so far. So we'll see what he has the rest of the way, but I think it's hard to argue that he's not the second-best guy, and that's yeah, it's a good thing to be, right? You make a lot of money doing that, and you can find yourself on a factory 450 doing things like that. So nice work from RJ, nice improvement. McAdoo, uh, I mean... I'm torn on McAdoo because on one hand, he was ripping in the first five laps, right? He was chasing Jet Lawrence down. And we've seen him do that in the past. Like he is one of the only guys that can really push the envelope enough to close down, you know, close the gap on Jet Lawrence at all. There, very, very seldomly have we ever seen that. Um, the issue though is that he's getting arm pumped. So he says, right? He's either getting tired or he's getting arm bump. One of the two. They often look very similar to the naked eye. He's the only one that knows for sure. But something's happening because he's, he's dropping off significantly in the latter stages. He gave away two second place finishes at the first two races because of whatever that issue happens to be. So is it, is it a cat- catastrophe? No, of course not. He's gone 3-3. Three, three. Um, but he, he is very frustrated with himself and with his inability to hold on to that second or even chase Jet down. You know, I also wonder with that hero pace that he's putting in to chase Jet, is he blowing himself up? And when I, when I say that, that's a term that racers would often use about your heart rate. Um, you know, bicycle guys would use that too, is if you push too hard too fast and you get into like, you know, it would be like on a tachometer, you're in the red. You can't sustain that. You're, you're above all your thresholds, you know, what your training, ideal training heart rate is like you're, you're over the line and you will pay a penalty for that 
to where you have to back it off. And I'm wondering if that's happening to McAdoo, where he gets so excited that he's catching jet, and then he just ramps intensity to a place that you can't hold. And then you literally, your body like forces you to back it off. So I'm kind of wondering if that's what's happening to him. Uh, Monster Yamaha Star Racing, 250 guys, I have to practice saying that because uh, we have to say it correctly on TV. But Monster Yamaha Star Racing, 250 guys, Kitchen and Styles Robertson, they're okay. You know, Kitchen, DNF, the main event again. I shouldn't say again, but DNF the main event. And then Styles got a bad start again. And uh, I don't know if he had issues on the first side, but he was in bad position. That's, that's the thing. These guys are not putting themselves in position to get a good result. And they're riding okay. Like Kitchen rode really well in his heat. Styles moved forward in the main event. But if you don't start near the front, you're, those guys, those two, I don't think can beat McAdoo or Hampshire coming from seventh or eighth or 10th. Like that's not going to happen. They're not quote unquote better than those two. They may be able to go as fast, maybe, but if you don't go with them at the beginning, uh, yeah, you're not, you're not going to even get to see them. Like they're going to be gone by the time you even get a, a chance to kind of get clean air as Carmichael would say, and, and put your best laps in. Those guys are going to be long gone by then. Uh, Pierce Brown, I thought it was okay, you know. He crashed in the main event, but he needed a result. He needed to get something to build off of, and I think a top five did exactly that. Um, gave him some confidence. You, you needed, he just needed a platform to build off of. You know, if he had had another DNF or had another big crash or something, like you just, it's really hard to pick yourself up off the mat again. Uh, and, and you go into A2 just like no confidence, sore, like you just, you know, like you're going backwards, like you're reeling from it instead of being able to use this as something to mentally and physically work from. So I, I would expect, you know, as long as he can stay on the bike, I, I would expect better days from him moving forward. Max Voland, uh, he wants to be called Maximus, whatever. Uh, that wasn't good. So the riding to me, not the problem. You know, he, he didn't look to me as good as he did at Anaheim 1. The riding is plenty good to be in the main event, but if you put yourself in bad positions, if you crash in a single file restart for no reason, you're going to have trouble getting in the main events. You're going to get bad gate picks for the LCQ. You're going to get pushed out. You know, there's a million things that can go wrong when you do that to yourself. Trust me, I've been there. I know, I know that dynamic all too well, and you tempt fate when you do things like that. You get bad starts and you, and you put yourself in harm's way, you shouldn't be watching the main events. But if you allow that door to be open time and time again, you're going to find yourself, you know, it's like a trap door. Eventually it's going to catch you. And for Max Volan, it's been catching him far too often lately. So, you know, I thought Lee Diffie said it well, when you're on Red Bull KTM, you, you can't miss main events. You cannot do that. So, you know, that's not breaking news. I'm sure they know that, obviously. But for us who are analyzing it and, and talking about it, what else are we supposed to say? You know, it's not like we want to come down on them, but we, I mean, we have to say the obvious. The other, only other notes on the 250 guys were, um, I thought Lopes and Oldenburg have been great. Both, both deserve a ton of credit. They've been fast, consistent, beating factory guys. Um, so really nice job to, uh, to both Enzo and to, uh, to Freckle, Mitchell Oldenburg, for, for those of you who don't know his nickname. So nice, nice ride. From both of them, and, and it's been consistently through the day and night, right? It hasn't been just some flash in the pan. They've been showing that same form nonstop. So, so great job 
to those guys. Before we jump into our power rankings, uh, Pirelli tires, if you go to at Pirelli MX on Instagram, you can uh, sign up for the rider support program. So I would absolutely uh, invite you to do that. You, I think you only have another few days to do that. Um, I think it's maybe through the end of January. So check that out. Guts Racing, they are jumping into the e-bike market. Uh, you want to get that those seat covers for the Serant, um, the Tolaria, the Super 73, Segway, uh, there's a ton going on there. And that, I think that's their n- next kind of breakout opportunity as far as uh, you know, business-wise and really expanding their market is in the e-bike seat covers and they will have the actual seats as well. So really cool things there from Guts Racing. Got to see Andy this weekend. Plum Creek Funding, they're licensed in California, Colorado, Nevada, Texas, and Florida. Reach out to Zach. Rates are coming down a little bit, which is nice. Um, you know, and, and there's a nice sweet spot because prices are coming down and rates are coming down a tiny bit, right? So you're getting a little bit of relief there. So if you need to buy right now, or if you, I don't know if refis are really the right answer right now, but if you have questions, reach out to Zach, 720-212-4685 and uh, just see what he can do. You know, maybe ask just for some advice or for some, uh, some timing anyway. Fast Foundry. Get your small business or large business dialed in. You can, uh, yeah, certainly just ask the right questions, you know, and that's what I, you'll hear a common theme with me is I like for interaction between listeners and sponsors, right? It, it, maybe it's not the right time to do business with them yet, but ask their advice, see how they can help you because I'm, I'm not the expert on this stuff. They are right. So I don't know every capability they have, but you can go to them. You can go to a company like Fast Foundry. You can ask for Robert and go to fastfoundry.com and say, Hey, these are the problems we're experiencing with our company. These are the shortfalls. These are the areas where we're not very efficient. How can you help? What can you do? Uh, what way, if it's a virtual event that you don't know how to plan for, um, if, if it's your, you know, accounting books, like there are so many things that they can help you get on the right track with. And maybe you're a one man band like myself and you need help getting organized, right? Reach out to them, see how they can take a lot of that off your plate. And uh, yeah, they can give you the resources to be much larger than maybe, you know, your company actually is, right? They can give you all that infrastructure behind you. Proglow Wash, go check it out. They are uh, gonna be available on, in Walmart, on walmart.com and Amazon very soon. You can also go uh, to their website, but it is a great product regardless. And that's the big thing. Like I, there are, you know, there's so many products out there. If you look across the landscape, like a ton of them are, are sponsoring, uh, these teams in this bike wash space, which is cool. It's, it's great to see that market expanding, but I think Proglow wash is, is the best one. Um, it's specifically formulated for power sports. It's not some, you know, off the shelf Walgreens type product. Um, they do a great job. And most importantly for me with a lot of this stuff is they're just great people. Ryan and the team over there are, you know, I'm genuinely friends with those guys. And uh, I like to support people like that regardless of, uh, of the application. International Vet MX Series, I mentioned earlier, used to be the, uh, the old timer. Um, what is it? Let me get this specifically right for these guys. It used to be called the International Old Timer Motocross Series. So if you've heard that term, International Old Timer Motocross Series, it's now the uh, International Vet MX Series. So a little bit of an upgrade there, but just a great group of guys. They have races you know, all over uh, the West Coast. First one upcoming is uh, Easter weekend, and it's at Sandy Valley in Nevada. 
They'll have live music. They have all kinds of great things going on at these events. And it's really, you get tons of track time. Some of them have up to, uh, to five, five motos on a weekend, which is, you know, pretty amazing. Um, you just, you just know you're going to get a ton of track time. Uh, their title sponsor for this year is, um, power motorsports. So check those guys out too. That's really, really important. Um, so you want to go check out power motorsports, but Jimmy and the crew over there are just putting on amazing events. So, um, yeah, I would, I would absolutely invite you to, uh, to go to one of these events. If you, if you get time, you know, check it out. It's, it's a really, really cool series. So I like being involved with these guys again, you know, these guys are just in it for the, you know, the spirit of riding, right? They, they just want to put on fun events where you're actually getting time and it's all people, like-minded people. Uh, you know, obviously it's a lot of vintage riders, a lot of, um, vet riders, right. And, uh, kind of kindred spirits at events like these. So check those guys out. Super cool to, uh, to have them on board. TL speed shop is Jason Cobb and his team in Wickenburg, Arizona. And this is a side-by-side adventure touring group, right? You can go to Sedona, Arizona. You can go to Baja. You can go wine tasting. They do corporate events. You can just go by there by yourself. If you want, you can take your family. Um, and it's, it's plug and play. You fly into Phoenix and everything is there taken care of for you. Um, and that's what it's designed to be is, you know, basically a one-stop shop for you. You don't have to go out and buy equipment and buy side-by-sides and trailers and trucks and all this. You don't need any of that, right? All you need is the willingness and the ability to get to Arizona and they will take care of the rest. A really, really cool vacation type destination place that TL Speed Shop has going on there. Uh, Grandstone Boots, again, I mentioned I just got, I got the Chrome Excel number eight. And if, if you heard me last week, I was talking about those. I really wanted those. So have those on the way. Super excited about that. And uh, yeah, last but not least, Fly Racing, of course, is... Uh, you know, my day-to-day, oh, I forgot Works Connection. How could I forget Works Connection? I can't. Uh, Eric, Fix, Eric Phipps and the team in Northern California, pro-launch start device. They have the, uh, the Yamaha foot peg mounts that Chris Kiefer developed. But again, you look at the hole shots. Who are getting them? Jet Lawrence, pro-launch start device. Eli Tomac, pro-launch start device. Chase Sexton, pro-launch start device. Like, this is not rocket science. There's a, there's a reason why, A, there's a reason why these guys are getting good starts. And there's a reason B, why these factory teams are choosing Works, works Connection for, their pro, for that Pro Launch Start device it's because it works. It's easy to assemble. It's reliable. Um, so yeah, check those guys out. Great group. They've been around forever, right? Think about like the 90s. These guys were around sponsoring factory teams with frame guards and all kinds of stuff. And then they really uh, you know, kind of separated themselves with that Pro Launch Start device once the, uh, the starting device evolution came around. So really cool project there from, uh, from works connection. So let's get back into the racing. And as we do on this show, we do the power rankings and this week, a little bit of a shakeup, right? we got some changes at number 10. He slid a little bit. Uh, where was he last week? Let's check that out. He was nine last week and he slipped to number 10 and that's Aaron Plessinger. Not a bad race, but he didn't flash for me this weekend. And when I say flash, like jump off the page, get your attention, leading laps in practice, you know, doing something that makes you kind of stop and say, whoa, like he looks, he looks feisty here. I did not see that from him this weekend. Doesn't mean he wasn't riding well or anything. It just wasn't that same type thing. So I moved him back to 10. He had a rough and tumble main event, moved forward, 
but I don't think that was the result he was looking for. At number nine, I have Adam Cincerillo, and that's a 10-9 two-week run for Adam, and he led laps, things are getting better, but you can still see a little bit of the rustiness, a little bit of the fitness not quite there yet. You know, I don't know if he was dealing with some arm pump stuff, but for Adam, just finish the races, right? You just do all the laps, and the rest will figure itself out eventually. He just needs seat time. He just needs to be in these races, complete a season. And uh, I really feel like if he can do that, the results will take care of themselves. He, he's just too good for them not to. At number eight, I have Dylan Ferrandis. And I think you could make an argument that Ferrandis should be higher because he's gone four six at these two races. So, you know, it's, it's very easy to point at that and say, how can he be eight? He's gone four six. Is an average of five. Like, I get it. But... I have to factor in all these other guys too that have looked, some of them have looked faster. They just had crashes or a weirdo result or whatever. And I, I feel like Ferrandis is okay at eight. I don't, I don't feel like it's a slap in the face to put him at eight. Now, if he continues staying consistently in the top six, then yes, he will be moved up. There is no question about that. He will be moved up. But for now, I, I need to see more. I, I want to see this consistency and level continue. Number seven, I have Mookie, and he's also one that if you're just doing it based off the data, he doesn't, he doesn't deserve to be seven, right? His results are like, what, 16-15 or 15-16 or something like that. Not good by any means, but if you look at the riding, you look at the qualifying, you know, he was leading at A1. He won his heat race at, he was fastest qualifier, and he won his heat race at San Diego, and then, yeah, he had a, you know, kind of a meltdown main event, but... Everything else is there. The riding is incredible. The form, the speed, you know, I think everybody knows like Mookie's for real. Um, my real concern with him though, is if, you know, for years, Mookie was a guy that pushed too hard and paid the price for it all the time. Like it was just a consistent theme that he was going to go really fast, but he was also going to crash spectacularly, not unlike his brother. Then he got consistent, backed it off a little bit, in my opinion, you know, took a couple percent off the, the risk and the results got more consistent. Now it seems like we're back to the other side where he's, he thinks he can win. So he's turning up that risk level and he's paid the price for it two weekends in a row. So I don't know what, I, it's too early, right? It's too small of a sample size to know, but that's my concern is if he's reverted back to the problems of yesteryear because he knows he's capable of winning and, and time will tell, but that's just something I'm keeping an eye on there. And I don't know if that's good or bad. Um, you know, if he keeps crashing, it's obviously bad, but if he can find a way to harness it and win, then obviously it's good, you know, and, and it's up to him. He's going to be the one that, uh, yeah, that determines that in the end. I just wonder if it's something he even has noticed or it's just been a freak couple of crashes. I, it, right. That's the problem with small sample sizes is you just don't have enough data to point to. Ken Roxon is number six. And Kenny was good, right? And, and I don't think I heard that Kenny didn't love our analysis of him in the, uh, the race recap. Um, but I don't think if he did, he's misinterpreting what we're trying to say. He's been pretty good, but he doesn't look like himself. He looks like he is unsure of the bike. He looks like he's trying to get more comfortable. And he doesn't have that flowy, incredible style 
on the bike that, that we're used to. He just doesn't have it. I've watched him two weekends, like all day and all night. I've really tried to pay attention to him. And I haven't seen Ken Roxon. I'm using air quotes that you can't see over Ken Roxon. Like Kenny has a, a style and an aura on the motorcycle. Always has, I would say always will, but I haven't seen it the last couple of rounds. And I, I watched him in qualifying all day in the afternoon. He made about 12 million suspension changes and they switched to factory connection. So he can't arguably say he's not, he, that he's super comfortable on the bike because they're making changes every time he goes out. Literally every time he goes out, they're making bike changes. So I don't think it's illogical to say that he doesn't look super comfortable yet. And that was really our only point. The results are fine. He went 5-4. But I think there's more in the tank. I think he can be better if he gets comfortable. So I don't know. I, I highly doubt he listens to this podcast. I think mean, that's a pretty safe bet. But someone he knows probably does. And that's the point we want to get across is there's more ahead. If he can get better, like more comfortable, look like his old self, I think there's a lot more there to uncover. So if you're looking at it and you think that 5-4 is great, then I think maybe you're wrong. Because I think he could be second or third if he gets back to the way he used to look and has that confidence in his riding, he could be better. You know, 5-4 for the way he looks is pretty damn good, in my opinion. Justin Barsha at 5. And, you know, Barsha has, what do you go, 10-3? No, yeah, 10-3 so far. So, not awful. Um, you know, I, I feel comfortable with him at 5 because you got to remember he was leading laps at A1 before he crashed. And then this weekend, he was third the whole time. Held off... Uh, Held off Roxon and Sexton, really. Took out a couple guys. <laughs> Took out Sexton along the way. Uh, but he, he had to fight for it, and he put up a, a tremendous fight to keep Roxon at bay. Didn't get tired. I watched him every lap down on the floor, and he was charging the entire time. Uh, so I feel comfortable with him at five. Um, you know, you could make an argument for Roxon. Not, it's not being fair to him being at six. But what do you do with these other guys that we're going to get to, right? So Barsha at five feels right to me. Uh, four is Jason Anderson, and it's the same old story, right? I talked about it on television. I'm sure you saw it where unforced mistakes, crashes, getting into drama with other riders, all those things can't happen. Like it, it's not, that's, it's not going to work. So he has got to figure out what to do differently here. You know, I, I know he can't fix just falling over. That happens to everybody now and again. But you can certainly fix incidents with Justin Barsha. You know, whether you or not you decide to take him out, that's on you. But then tweeting him, calling him, you know, curse words. And you're just, you're provoking him. You're provoking other riders. And that's what gets you into trouble. What did you not learn about that from Barsha and Malcolm Stewart last year? Like, what are you doing, man? You should know better. And I don't, he doesn't have to care what I think. That's not the point. But you, it, it's impossible to argue that those are a good idea. History and the points from the last year alone will tell you that that's a bad idea. You got taken out and you took out other people and crashed with him and cost yourself in three races, 45 points. Rounds 9, 10, and 11. It was like Daytona, Indy, and Detroit. You lost 45 points doing stupid stuff like this. That, that's a, easily a championship. Like it's not, even, it's not even arguable that the championship was lost right there. And you're doing the same thing. We're two rounds in. 
and you're 20 points down. So for a lot of people who thought he could be champ this year, he was damn sure close last year. He won seven races. This is what you can't do. You cannot do the things you're doing. And we're right back to it again. So I, I sound angry. I'm not angry. I don't care. You know, I'm just, I, I'm analyzing what's going on. And if I was a part of his team, though, if I was Cowie, if I was a sponsor, if I was his riding coach, I would be pissed, man. It's like, you're doing all the things again. We, we should have been working on this all offseason, mentally, physically. Know what your mistakes are, right? If you don't learn from your mistakes, you are doomed to repeat them. And that's what I see happening. Like, he should know not to do these things, and he's still doing it anyway. So, tough one, man. Tough for Anderson. Sexton, I have three. And what has the results been? 3-5. Uh, so, that's fair. You know, 3-5 to be third. And he got taken out at the second round, too. Um, so, yeah, we all think Sexton's going to win races this year. We all think he is a rising superstar. Uh, so, yeah, it's uh, unfortunate he was on the ground, but he had to go to the LCQ because of a huge crash in the heat race. So, if you, if you look at the night with a big crash and going to the LCQ, fifth isn't, isn't awful. Um, it, it certainly could have been a lot worse than that. Cooper Webb at number two. He's coming alive here. And I think that of all the people in this class that Tomac would be worried about, I think Cooper Webb is near the top of the list, if not the top. Because I, I think that Tomac looks at Webb like he is a, when he gets confidence and he has everything clicking, he's so mentally strong and has so much grit that he can go toe-to-toe with Tomac. And I think Eli knows that. I, I think he looks at these other guys like Kenny, you know, Sexton's still really young. Kenny tends to drop off later in the series. Anderson is his own worst enemy with all this stuff I just talked about, right? So he can look at these other guys and find holes in their game. They'd be like, okay, well, they're going to they're gonna take care of themselves. I just need to do my thing. Webb, when he's on, presents a whole different challenge. He really does. And you could point to Webb and say, okay, when the whoops are really big, he's going to be in trouble. Maybe that's true. I don't, I won't argue, I would not argue that, right? But on tracks like this, tracks like A1, where the whoops aren't such a big deal, Cooper Webb will be a challenge to Eli Tomac this year. That's what I believe. He, you can already see it building. You can see him gaining confidence and he's getting, he's getting chippy, right? He's starting to believe in himself a little bit. And I don't think Tomac likes that. You know, Tomac would love to take the air out of Webb ASAP um, because of all the guys he fears, I think Webb has a little bit something different there that these other guys might not. And it, it's just their approach and their, it's, it's the mindset part of it, too, that Webb's just a little bit different. Number one is obviously Eli Tomac, and he just, he's so polished right now. He's firing on all cylinders. Like, he has every aspect of his game dialed in. Um, he's, he's, like, this is the best we've ever seen him, you know? And it's crazy for it to be this point of his career, and this is the best Eli Tomac version we've ever seen. Um, you know, I... Is it the fastest he's ever gone? I don't know. You know, there were years like 17 and 18 where you saw him, like 17 especially, where he was just unbelievable at times. But he also had a ton of weird rides where you're just like shaking your head at him. And that's why he wasn't your champion in 17. So this is the best version. Um, I think he's just got every cylinder firing. Starts, speed, fitness, mental, the bike, team. He's happy. Uh, everything is just there. So good luck 
Good luck to everybody else. I think they're going to need some help if they're going to dethrone Eli Tomac from the championship this year. You know, and it could be it could be a first turn crash. It could be anything, right? But I think I think the rest of these guys are going to need some help. Honorable mentions for this week, kind of the same group. Uh, Joey Savacci, he's been riding well, battling for top tens, battling the the likes of AC and Plessinger and these guys. So if anything happens to a factory guy, I think he will be the first to step in. He he just he's deserving of that. Christian Craig. Not his best weekend, uh, 11th. So his results so far are 13-11. It's not, not awesome, right? Like, I, I know he expects more than that. I'm not sure what went on this weekend. Um, but, yeah, I'm sure he's doing a little bit of soul-searching this week and uh, will want to bounce back at A2 because he's, he's better than 11th. He just is. Um, and he, he's going to show that, I think, sooner rather than later. And then the last honorable mention is Colt Nichols. You know, kind of took a little bit of a step back from uh, – from A1, you know, that sixth place was crazy. I think we were all shocked at that sixth place. And this weekend, I think, reverted back to the mean a little bit. Um, got shuffled around. Wasn't terrible. But I think that San Diego was more indicative of what we'll see. I think he will be consistently a 8 to 11 guy. That's where I have him penciled in. He already proved that he can do better than that. But I think when we look back over 17 rounds, assuming he's healthy... That 8 to 11 is going to be his sweet spot. So that's it for this week. Uh, for those of you who did see me on television this weekend, thank you for all the kind words. Some of you reached out. Um, I was crazy nervous. It didn't look like I was nervous, which is awesome. I'm very happy about that. Uh, but I was. Um, you know, it's, it's so hard. You know, those, what, what makes me nervous are the stand-up parts and what, what they call stand-up. Like at the beginning where you just see me on camera and I'm talking about what I'm seeing, you know, I talked about Anderson this weekend. They showed some, some footage of him. That's up to me to come up with the storyline. Like I need to find something interesting to talk about. And then I need to not stutter over my words and I need to concisely and clearly get a point across. And sometimes I have data to share like percentages or lap times or points or whatever. So I'm trying not to like fumble those. And I'm trying to make sure that in like 30 seconds, I can tell you exactly what I think and why and have it be something that resonates with you. And you're like, oh yeah, that, that makes sense. Something maybe I wasn't thinking about. It's not the easiest thing in the world and it's nerve wracking to, uh, to get it right because it's live, man. You don't, we don't tape it. If it was taped and I could do it a hundred times, no problem, right? I would nail it. But to do it live, um, yeah, it's just something I need more experience with and I'm gonna try to keep getting better at that. And I want it to be something where it's, it's a little nugget each week that you can kind of take away and, you, and it's not redundant. It's not really obvious because that's, that's not adding to the show, you know, obvious stuff. Like if you already knew it and you're just, you just shake your head and be like, everybody knows that. What are you talking about? You know, cause I do that. I do that stuff too. So that's a little bit of insight, the podium stuff like interviews and the other talking that I'm not nervous about that stuff because the camera's not on you and it's just basically talking just like this podcast or Steve shows or anything. I have a lot of experience with that stuff. So that comes easier. Um, and I'm sure the other, you know, those, those parts that I am nervous about will, will come easier as well. I just need, need more repetitions and need more practice at it. So thank you to everybody for listening. Thank you to all of the sponsors of this podcast. Couldn't do it without you. And uh, we'll talk to you next week. See you.